0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: He turns. He
2: fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Bibby has the open shot. And yes! Ladies and
3: gentlemen up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting
2: 5 for your Sacramento Kings.
4: Welcome to the Kings Beat podcast. I am James Hamby, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat joining me Fox 40s, Sean Cunningham. Sean, how are you? I'm okay. <laughs> Fair to middling.
1: <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, you like the rain now, huh? Do you? I'm getting all <laughs> kinds of shit over my hatred of the rain. Who told you? It's absolutely <sighs> pissing out there and. Uh, Flooding and. Yeah, uh, man. Get your
4: sandbags. Yeah. Uh, Get your sandbags.
1: Okay, and of course, we're
4: joined
3: by Brendan Nunes from the King's Pulse podcast. Brendan, how are you? Good. I'm uh, feeling pretty Cunningham today, very much in this hatred of the rain. New Year's Eve was a mess. The roads were, yeah, it was just a mess all around.
4: Yeah, we drove down to Rockland to stay with some friends and hang out and uh, have a little New Year's Eve party. And it was, it was a torrential downpour. Like, that was braving the elements. I was slightly concerned with my son driving. And then one of our boats tried to float away. One of our many Don't boats see. tried to float away. and good so thing I you went, have a like, fleet. <laughs> I'm like, it's on a lift. How could that happen? I go out to check it out, and the dock itself was about eight inches underwater. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. I had to, like, pull my pant legs up climb out there in the freezing cold water and make sure everything was tied off securely wild wild what's happening with it. i don't even know how many like inches of rain we've had but it's it's some severe weather warning stuff
1: i know we need the rain do we still are we out of it are we done uh, yet we're never are we back out no <laughs>
4: <laughs> folsom lake is still a puddle like come on we got, we got a long ways to go before that happens. Okay. Uh, and then we have uh, Jeremy Renner, like, uh, critically mm-hmm. injured in a freak snowblower accident. I don't even know what happened there, but that doesn't sound good at all. I, I don't know. We don't have any details yet, but hopefully uh, up in Lake Tahoe, not too far from here. So uh, Yeah, from Mount
1: right. Rose. He's at the Reno area now. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hospital in Reno.
4: Yeah, not good at all. Modesto zone.
1: Modesto zone, Jeremy Renner.
4: Oh, interesting. I didn't know he's from Modesto.
1: Okay. Yeah. And he's a All big right. 49er fan. Huge. His parents own like the bowling alley or, or A bowling alley in, in uh in Modesto. So, oh. the more you know. Interesting.
4: That's that's uh it You know, I didn't they put a big giant bowling alley and uh movie theater and arcade at the Galleria, which I haven't been to yet, but I kind of refuse to go to the mall. Um, All right. Well, let's get to basketball talk. Uh, First of all, if you're watching today on the YouTube, uh, if you don't mind, give us a thumbs up and subscribe if you're not a subscriber already. uh, Subscribe to the King's Beat. Um, Become a premium subscriber to the King's Beat. We're creating massive amounts of content every week for your consumption. And uh, we will have an off-the-record with the Kings Beat virtual happy hour in the month of January. And you do not want to miss that. That should be a blast uh, because all of them seem to have really worked out well.
1: Um,
3: let's see. Oh. <laughs> oh, I wasn't sure if it was just me.
1: <laughs> oh, no, it was definitely him. James decided to oh. leave us. There, he's back now. He's shaking I'm his
4: back. Head. Yeah, so this is uh, some frozen ham is what they call it on ESPN. <laughs> Oh, this is a
1: thing?
4: Uh, yeah, it's a thing. Like, every once in a while, because we never have this as an issue, uh, because we're doing the podcast at different times. I think only one time we've had real uh, internet issues, so hopefully it doesn't continue. Um, but uh, since we last, like, hung out, which was Thursday, right, um, the Kings had a big win on Friday night, and then... Uh, I don't know. How do you guys describe this loss to the Memphis Grizzlies?
1: Expected. Um, I mean, that's the second best team in the West currently. They were sitting atop the Western Conference for a couple weeks, it seemed. They, they know how to win without key members of their uh, roster, and they're just a really well-oiled tight unit. And thought I felt like uh, Sacramento played pretty decently for much of the game fourth quarter just kind of slipped away from him Stephen Adams was a monster John ja Morant was John ja Morant and uh you know you probably wanted to see uh, uh, some better performances um from some of your key guys De'Aaron Fox included and uh yeah I, I just felt like it was it went about the way I would have expected it to go um but I also feel like it's kind of worth a broader discussion just about how kind of this team is playing right now I mean they edge Utah by one point. Certainly Utah's have been a formidable team in the West, uh, kind of surprising a lot of people. And then before that, we we've documented how well that, uh, you know, how that that series with the Nuggets went, the two-game back-to-back. Uh, you split that series, and you have these, these weird comebacks. And, you know, as entertaining as the Kings have been, it feels like they're not quite right at the moment. Um, there's a lot that's kind of a lot of clunkiness that's around them. Um, but I felt like, for the most part, They've been able to overcome a lot of uh, little r- hurdles, if you will, that that, that kind of build up through a game. And I was hopeful um, for Kings fans that coming out of the Denver game, that that, that would have kind of helped get their mojo back. And part of that was Demonis Sabonis being back. And... You see the way they played in Utah. I remember looking at James at one point, or excuse me, against Utah. It was here in Sacramento to close out the homestand. They win that game pretty dramatic fashion, obviously. But I remember looking at you, James, I go, I feel like the Kings have been playing really, really well, and they just can't stop Utah. Like, Utah's on their A game. Uh, feels like this one's going to be one that comes down to the wire and might get away from them. Uh, fortunately, the Kings gutted it out, and I thought it was pretty impressive the way they did. Um, I know there's some people that will say that, no, it shouldn't have gotten that close, but you take that kind of clunkiness out on the road. Maybe you find yourself a little bit. It's a two-game road trip before you come back, and you've got a lot more, lot more games at home. Uh, I feel like it kind of went the way I expected. And, uh, you know, Utah is kind of funny. The next night they lose another heartbreaker uh, to, to Miami. So you're going to get them on Tuesday as we record this on Monday. And uh, I feel like the Kings have to kind of find themselves with this day off and maybe try to
3: correct a lot of, a lot of things that haven't kind of gone well. The defense is still an issue for this Kings team. Um, there's times where they look better, but I think that those bright spots are less common than the typical things that honestly we've kind of seen throughout years past. Um, I thought in that first quarter against Memphis, like fouling was a huge issue um, and they cleaned that up as the game went along, but there were so many free throw attempts specifically for John Morant at the beginning of that game. And I thought that really helped him get in a rhythm and, um, and, you know, they ended up shooting okay last night or, yeah, last night against the Grizzlies, 15 of 43 from three, 34%. But the amount of like stretches that this team has of struggling to score when they have like three or four guys that are 40% three point shooters is really confusing to me. Like, I think there were two, four, five minute stretches in that Memphis game where they did not score. And I just didn't. I thought some of their shots were okay. There were stretches of turnovers being an issue and live ball turnovers have been an issue for this team all year long because their transition defense after the fact is uh subpar. So I, I think like Fox's total numbers don't look horrible. It's really those five turnovers to me that are tough. Uh, Malik had four turnovers as well in his 26 minutes. Like I thought that those two guys, when it came to just taking care of the ball could have been a lot better. And then that hurts you defensively on the other end, but Um, I I think the defensive struggles aren't anything all too surprising. And even offensively, like Memphis came in as the second best defense, according to basketball reference, one of the better defensive teams in the league. And I thought they held their own and did a decent job of making this a competitive game throughout the course of it. But we just keep seeing the Kings like the nights that they're playing these really good teams, like everything kind of has to go right. They have to make sure that they're cleaning up these weaknesses because they've been good against below 500 teams. They're 10 and three. And two of those are that Charlotte and Washington games that we've seen recently that were just total messes, but they're nine and 13 against teams 500 and above. And Memphis obviously falls into that, which I think is an okay record for where this team is at and continuing to progress and, and build on what admittedly was a low starting point of last year and years prior. But um, yeah, I thought the offense was, is it, just a little bit confusing to me at times when they struggle to score with how dynamic and uh, versatile this team is when it comes to spacing and, and playmaking and all that, but they were just the same typical issues to me of fouling turnovers and, and defense.
4: Yeah. So the Memphis game very specifically, I, I thought, first of all, the, the first stretch was 0 of 14 from the field between the, the late first quarter and early second. Um, I, I think there are nights where, I mean, Mike Brown has to figure something else out where his starters are playing too well. And then when he goes to the bench, like, all, all things go to hell in a handbasket. Losing Sabonis off the court, it's become one of those things where you just can't get over it. Like, the the way this team functions with Sabonis on the court versus with him off the court has to be addressed, like, in, in my opinion. I And, like, we're 35 games into the season. We can't keep thinking that someone is going to all of a sudden magically become someone that they're not. Like, that's not the way it goes. So at it's, it's a certain point... Which we'll have a discussion about trade deadline and about like January, uh, like guarantees and stuff later on the show. But I really do think it's we're at a moment where you see where the Kings are. You see that like there's this stretch coming up where they could really, really, like take off because it's a it's an easy stretch of games, and I hate saying that, but it is. Um, but at the same time, you just keep thinking we know what they're missing. Like, can you go get it? Is there a way to go get it? Is, you know, you're going to, I think at this point, you're trying to decide between do I make a major move that's long-term and and risk a little bit of chemistry, but the risk reward is to come out with a much better player that fits long-term age-wise, or do you add, do you tinker and add two smaller pieces or three smaller pieces that could help tighten up the rotation? I don't like Monty McNair is going to be in a really tough decision here, but it, it comes back to this same thing. Like the clunkiness is it's almost always when Sabonis is out of the court, is off the court. Uh, they had a, a lull both in the first half and the second half. And this the one in the second half basically cost you the game where you just couldn't score again, five minutes without scoring. And it, it's really frustrating to watch this team go through those phases. But then it's even like you put Sabonis back in and it's like a minute or two of everyone standing around again, like not being able to readjust to Sabonis being back. So I don't know. I, I thought it was interesting. I also like John Morant, I I'm just gonna like I probably will, will draw the ire of plenty of people. He's like really, really dangerously getting close to like James Harden annoyance level for me. I don't know if huh? that's the what do you mean that's I, I can't stand the fake, the the acting like Man, just play the game. Like the whole <laughs> the head bobbing and his throwing his head around and drawing fouls all the time. Like oh, to me, gosh. like at some point he's so good. Just go play. Stop doing the the flop every single time. And I I don't know how <laughs> if that works out on a nightly basis, but I I always feel the same. Like I when James Harden was in his prime, I couldn't I couldn't handle watching it. Um, but oh, he dribbled man. the air out of the ball. He did. And, and so I, I prefer Morant because of his athleticism to watching Harden. But still, like at a certain point, it's kind of like Luca. Like, do you really want to watch 48 minutes of a guy well, like crying to officials?
1: <laughs> that was actually the one I was going to follow it up with. I was like, I mean, sarcastically, it's do you watch the NBA? Because there's many guys like this. And you don't have to look much farther than the guy that's, you know, just – putting up 50 games like they're pedestrian games at this point and doing what he's doing in, uh, not only, I mean, just Luka Doncic has been incredible. And then of course he's like taking it out on his teammates as well. And, you know, it's, it's borderline MVP stuff. If, uh, you know, Jokic hasn't been doing what he's been doing and, uh, there might be a, you know, Denver being as good as they are and Jokic putting up just incredible numbers, uh, as a two-time MVP already. But yeah, Luka is probably the most exciting player in the NBA, dare I say right now. And, uh, if you hate watching that, you must really hate watching Luka Doncic, man.
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess I—I I, I don't know. Am I crazy, Brennan? Did you watch the same thing I did? Like, and, and I guess the better question is, are you kind of disappointed that De'Aaron Fox doesn't just like, okay, whatever, I—I got to do this myself. I've got to start flopping. I've got to start like watching like Kevin Martin tapes and like trying to draw fouls on every single play. I, I mean, is that where we're at or the game just has to look bad in order for you to be a superstar?
3: I don't know. Like, I mean, I think that it is just part of the NBA at this point. I actually didn't think Jaws was horrible last night. There's definitely, when you're jerking your head back is the one that really gets me when you're just barely getting hit and you're just jerking your head back like crazy. Like there's some that just look a little bit ridiculous. Right. But I, I tend to think it's just part of the game at this point. Um, I think if De'Aaron acted a little bit more, maybe he could get more calls. I think there's also an aspect of the Grizzlies are just a team that have a little bit more respect. Um, And so I I think that maybe as the Kings continue to get better, that maybe De'Aaron does get more of those calls because I certainly think he should get more. um, But wasn't really like what, last night came down to in my mind i think one of the other things we didn't mention is this 21 offensive rebounds which like how in the world do you give up 21 offensive rebounds and 13 of them being from stephen adams
1: i was gonna say his name is stephen adams his <laughs> yeah. name
3: is stephen adams <laughs> it's ridiculous uh, and sabonis is one of the, the kings have been the best defensive rebounding percentage team all year long sabonis is one of the best rebounders in the league he's leading the leagues in rebounds per game sabonis was part of the group that was out there while Sabone while Steven Adams was doing his thing and it, it goes uh, uh, further than Domas actually obviously it's not just that matchup it's when Domas is getting engaged in defense the other guy needs to come over and help and make sure Adams isn't securing that but um, yeah I think that there's also an aspect of sure Jaws may be a little uh, out there with it and, and is baiting the whistle sometimes or just accentuating the contact but the Kings are a little bit handsy out there sometimes too, and don't exactly do themselves any favors, in my mind.
1: Well, it's the NBA, man. You're gonna have deception all over the place. Um, just, yeah, I mean, it's not. It it honestly doesn't bother me because I've just kind of accepted it at this point uh, in in just in life in the NBA because everyone wants. It's a you know it's 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 such a league that isn't what you fell in love with, be it in the. 80s 90s or even early 2000s or even any of that like depending on how old you are um this is almost unrecognizable to the folks that be you know fell in love with nba decades ago so um but it's still a fantastic game it's still a, a lot to like it's a different game for sure and this just kind of comes along with it and i think the art of deception is uh it, it's it, like when people say is this what deer and fox has to do or whatever it, it, you can't you kind of have to accept people for who they are now because it's not like all of a sudden somebody's going to add that to their game. Um, Kevin Martin was a wizard at it. He came into the league yeah. knowing the nuances of how to do that. James Harden is the same way. You don't really get guys that are five years into their career and all of a sudden become like a master at being able to draw fouls. So uh, I also think you know Memphis gets a lot of uh, credit because they do a brilliant job of really defending, and they do so without fouling, and they have a physicality to them, and you know there there were some calls that didn't go their way. That's certainly not why they lost the game, but the scoring droughts to me were probably the, among the most puzzling because everything we get we talk every week about how I, I always say it, like it or not, your identity is being this this uh, high pace uh, efficient scoring team, and uh, that's where your bread is buttered, and to see Memphis kind of cracked the code and have not one lengthy scoring drought, but two uh, one of which I think were both of them more than five minutes, or was it just one? I think the, it was the second the second the one second was quarter like
4: four and a half minutes the second one was at least four and a half minutes of
1: uh, yeah, and the drought. second quarter went over five. I mean you're talking about mm-hmm. ten almost ten minutes probably where they didn't score the basketball and they missed
4: the final ten shots at the first quarter, yeah.
1: And, yeah. and you still were, you know, you didn't have a deficit that didn't go. Uh, they they pushed a 14-point deficit by the end of the fourth quarter. Um, you know, when I say this is the way I thought it would go, that's not what I expected. I think that was, of course, what was going to be the most surprising. However, I didn't expect them to win this game. So my whole thing is you go out there and hopefully you can win one of two on the road, go 500. Um, I think the the other thing is, is it's not like, you know, you're, you're hoping to see this team start to – get some of these wins against teams that are above 500. And that's maybe a, among the most alarming things that we've seen this season around around the Kings is just their inability to really compete. I mean, they've competed, they've taken them down the wire, but they just haven't been able to get out many wins against winning basketball teams.
4: Yeah, but, I mean, just think back. I mean, they did beat Denver. They did beat Utah, who at the to- time was a winning basketball team. Um, Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, they've they've had some some solid. I think what are they five and nine against teams with above five hundred records. Maybe it's around there.
1: Yeah, um, it's just it's not it's not great for what this team is accomplishing. Now the good news is they're taking care of business in the games that they'll yeah. come into a game being the favorite in. So they're not like giving those games away, which is which is fantastic. But outside you know, of I, I
4: Washington and and Charlotte. Uh, yeah,
1: and and those are, and those are and certainly that's going to happen like you're going to lose yeah. a couple of those every single year my whole thing is I'd, i think i'd like to start to see that you know regardless of the steps that this team takes defensively and i think they fell to 24th after i think their peak was 14 or 15 defensively how high did it reach do you remember
4: yeah maybe 16
1: 16 Yeah. okay yeah i mean now they're back down to 24th yeah. and it's it's you know again it's 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 going to be a it's going to be like this for a while, but I, but you know, you, I want to see them to be able to continue to do what they do. Well, James, you mentioned about relying on Domas so much and it's true. And, you know, a lot of guys, you know, you you don't like to see teams lose their best player and, and just see everything go to, to trash. I mean, Denver is kind of that way. We talked about it. Like when Jokic is off the floor, that team does not nearly look the way they do when he's on the floor, obviously. And, and so much so that like, there's a big significant drop-off. Um, the Kings can't be one of those teams if they're going to compete. So they have to be able to find a way to sustain and to be able to hold onto the rope as James likes to say and Dave Yeager likes to say. Uh, but I, I don't know in my opinion it's not De'Aaron Fox turning into something he's not. Like you kind of know what he is. What you need is you know Malik Monk to be right night in, night out. You need the shooting to 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 in the in the playmaking to be able to move. You need the ball to be able to move Uh, And I think the defense has kind of done their job more times than not. I think it's been pretty impressive, particularly with that second unit. But um, it's really kind of funny to see the playmaking kind of stagnate when he gets off the floor because early in the season, you weren't seeing that.
4: Yeah, looking at the offensive ratings on and off court, uh, when Domonis Sabonis, according to basketball reference, when he's on the court, the Kings' offensive rating is a 120.1. When he steps off the court it's 108.4, so he's a plus 11.7. And then when you mix that with the opponent's offensive rating, which is 15.2 with him on the court, 115.2 and 115, so the team only gets, like, 0.2 better when he's off the court, uh, like, defensively, uh, which is, you know, it's within, like, that. it is what it is. I mean, it's right there. So, um, yeah, it's just crazy to me that what we're seeing is that when he's off the court, like your offense just is very, very mundane. You know, your tur- uh, turnover percentage spikes, your assist percentage drops, your, you know, overall field goal percentage drops. So one crazy thing I'll point out is the Kings, somehow their defensive rebound percentage goes up when when Domas is off the court, which to me is just like, I don't understand how that's possible.
3: At, at what point do we like start to question should you play differently when you don't have domas out there it's not long but like there's not many guys that can do it like Rashawn holmes and davion mitchell are pick and roll players offensively in my mind i think that's where they strive and at what point is it like maybe we're just running pick and roll with Rashawn and davion or Rashawn and um indiaran you know like do we i understand the logic behind wanting to play the same way you don't want to have to I mean, it's the whole, the ball is power, right? If you're running pick and roll, this this doesn't become this same everybody-touches-it offense that we're accustomed to. Um, but I don't know. At some point, I feel like it's worth asking, like, should you still try to play the same way when Domas isn't out there?
4: Yeah, it's really interesting, Brenna. You asked a question of Mike Brown in pregame, maybe like four or five games ago, about the difference between Domas and the difference between playing Nimi, uh, Nimi at the center and it was the the conversation was that they do a bunch of dhos off of Sabonis where you know guys are coming off and Sabonis is making the decision he has the ball in his hands and guys are are cutting they're moving all around him and he's either handing it off and he said when we switch to Sabonis I mean when we switch to Nemius we don't really run a lot of different stuff the only difference is that Nemius is a pick and roll player so it's a true pick as opposed to a DHO. And that means that the guard is making the decision with the ball and not the center. And it's really interesting because it's almost like they, they aren't figuring out how to do that. When Sabonis like the guards, the guards aren't playing well enough as like offensive players to make the offense continue to flow. It really does it. What it feels like if Malik Monk isn't hot You're totally screwed with your second unit, and and I don't know how to get around that. Like because guys like Trey Lyles, they're like I think Trey's been absolutely tremendous over this stretch, but he's such a a, he's a player that has to have other players making him better, right? He's not a player who's going to go out there and create for himself, create for others a bunch. Um, he's just not. And, And you can start saying the same thing about Rashawn Holmes or whoever you put at the center position. They can't create, so you end up having this staggered lineup all the time. And so I I don't know what the answer is because even Harrison Barnes isn't really creating for himself when he's on the court without Fox and without Sabonis. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I I mean, you have to address it in some way, and whether that's like switching up your offensive sets or it's just going out and getting someone who can actually do the job. And I don't know how difficult that's going to be. I don't know how much that's going to cost you. But like every game that Mark Williams blows up in Charlotte and has a humongous game is a, a day that if I'm the Kings, I'm I'm one step closer to trying to get miles, uh, Mason Plumlee. Um you know, like, Hey, go ahead. Play well, young fella. Your team is bad. You know, the Kings need someone that can actually step in and play the role. And then like when you have a game like last night, which is a total anomaly, like, the offensive rebounding of last night. The Kings are the the best defensive rebounding team percentage wise in the NBA, like they have been almost the entire season. So every once in a while, you are going to get beat up by literally the strongest man in the NBA, while your center has a broken thumb and can't push push the guy around using his hands. So, I mean, those things are going to happen, but I don't know what do you, where are you guys at with that?
3: I mean, I think that any backup center that you try to acquire like if you're trying to duplicate domos i just don't know that it's ever happening you know like even on a lesser scale like and especially if if we feel like one of the at least i feel like one of the biggest weaknesses of this team is rim protection like if you're looking for a rim protector how many rim protectors can also distribute in the way that domos can and I actually think one of the most underrated aspects of domos and the difference between him and these backup bigs is just the screen setting like namias is the closest but Rashawn's screens don't hit anywhere close to the same as as domos is Mezzi's obviously don't um alex len is just not uh, understandably not getting that much opportunity i think there's other issues there when it comes to his ideal fit with this team but there's just not many guys i think that can duplicate that like i i you know i've thrown out like norland's noel for example as like a defensive guy that wouldn't cost much and i know we have varying opinions on that guy but just as an example but then i think the <laughs> other end is is like a kelly O'Linick. And who I think yeah. can do similar things offensively as Domas, but you're totally sacrificing the defensive end. And I'm a believer that don't try to clean up your weaknesses and in the process, lose your strengths. So maybe you just fully commit to the offense. And it's something like a Kelly Olenek, who has this year remaining and the next year as 12 million, only 3 million of it is guaranteed. Like, I think that he's somebody that fits offensively, similarly lets you play the same style, but you're totally forfeiting the defense
4: yeah i I, I mean I, I even looked at it last night like man if if Brandon Clark could have played it probably would have hurt them because Adams was so good and Adams just doesn't play that type of minutes and but with Brandon Clark out they needed the big rebounder they needed a guy to go in there and battle with Sabonis. if you would have switched those out there's no way that Brandon Clark would have had that many offensive rebounds
1: you know it was wild too about Stephen Adams it occurred to me like um how many minutes did he play? It was like thirty-five.
4: Yeah, thirty-five. 35. That's what it was his
1: second consecutive twenty-twenty rebound game. He had twenty-one against New Orleans, and that was he did that in twenty-seven minutes against a team that has a little bit more, you know, bulk. Obviously, with Zion Williamson and probably more physicality, I think. But um, and, and then in the game before that, right? And then the game before that at Toronto, he had seventeen boards in also thirty-two minutes. So it's like, like. They, they seem to have cracked a code a little bit with him because he's obviously been so important to their offense, but like not like the like the rebounding is there the defense is there he's obviously a key cog there, but it hasn't been bored he hasn't been like this like in a while and crazy thing too is he's still isn't he like under thirty and it seems like he's been in the league forever. <laughs>
4: He he has been in the league forever. Uh, Yeah, he is twenty nine. That's absolutely incredible that he's twenty (laughs) nine. I remember his draft workout. Yeah, yeah, I remember his draft workout too. And you know, also he looked. By the way,
1: he also looked a ton different. I almost use a curse word. He he looks way different now than he did then. I mean, he looked like he was. If you think of like the all American boy crew cut coming out of the army, only he's New he's from New Zealand. Uh, And then you look at him now, and he looks like Aquaman. It's like completely different night and day.
4: What's crazy is his he's averaging a career-best 11.2 rebounds per game right now. He's never—last uh, season was the first year he was ever over 10 rebounds a game. And it, a lot of that's because he played in Oklahoma with, uh, with Russ Westbrook, who just stole all of the rebounds. Um, but, you know, this is a guy averaging 5.1 offensive rebounds per game. And so it's not like it's an anomaly that he went out there and killed you on the offensive glass— it was just the sheer bulk of them down the stretch, where he literally the Kings got four defensive stops in a row, and he got the rebound every time, and you're still on defense. I mean, they spent like a minute and a half in crucial like moments of the game playing defense because you know Stephen Adams kept ripping down an offensive board and resetting the whole thing. It was wild. Like I, you know, again, yeah. There's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes, sometimes a guy just has one of those games where the ball goes to him where he's able to get in position where he figures out something about one of your players that, that he can uh, master and, and take over a game like that. And I thought it was intriguing to watch though. I mean, he's such a beast. Um, And, and it does look like he's having like a revitalization in his career. Uh, But again, you're talking about a guy who could not do the things that Sabonis does uh, on the offensive end and as a passer and all that stuff. So.
1: And, and uh, there's no, there's no Steven Adams in Utah. <laughs> so like, you know, the, if they split this and you obviously saw some of the clunkiness and it's a result of Steven Adams. Well, not every, not every team has a Steven Adams, fortunately. So um, there can be some get right there, but also, you know, Utah's going to be looking at payback in that game. And, and Memphis is just good.
3: Like Memphis right. is a
1: really good it's, team. It's, Memphis, that's what I'm saying. like and 3 yeah, at home.
3: What are those they losses were the, to the Kings?
1: They were among the best teams in the NBA. They were top of the Western Conference for, I think, three weeks. So, And that was still without Desmond Bain, who also didn't play last night. So, And Desmond Bain was an all-star player before he went out. I mean, he was playing incredible, averaging like 28, I think, 28, 29 points a game. Like, crazy.
4: Yeah, Memphis is only a, a game behind Denver for the number one spot. They're the number two spot in the Western Conference. Yeah, I mean, they they really are playing absolutely phenomenal basketball. So is Laurie
1: Markinen, is- by the way.
4: Yeah, uh, like, what do you do if you're the kings? Because to me, a little bit of the marketing thing was you hadn't seen him. Like, you hadn't seen this version of Larry, uh or Lowry marketing. Uh, that I guess that's how you say it. Go ahead. Uh, th- Go ahead. Lowry. Which,
1: uh, either way. It's, it's I'm Lowry. I'm going to call him Lowry until yeah, he's a the, king and <laughs> I can ask him. Yeah, Lowry Bird.
4: Yeah the the jazz uh, the jazz folk says it's some it, you have to get used to it but it's just like Kyle Lowry he said it's, he goes by Lowry I'm like all right uh, anyway I, it kind of felt like the Kings just were like feeling it out like what is this thing what who who is this and then all of a sudden he was really really good and you're like oh that's the guy that everyone wants us to spend all of our draft picks on and, and you know go swing for the fences with um, which I, I'm on board with that. I'm, I'm part of that crew of, like, if you can get Laurie Market and uh, he would look ab- absolutely spectacular next to uh, uh, Domana Sabonis. Um, but, yeah, yeah like, we go into this, aren't like, the Jazz are, they're pretty solid, though, from top to bottom. I mean, they, they have veterans all over the court. It's not like it's a super young team. Um, and I know, like, some of their, their beat writers, they watch Jared Vanderbilt on a, you know, game in and game out out bases they're not super impressed with him and i didn't think he looked great against the kings i don't even know what his final stat line was um but that's a team that if you're looking for trade partners you're probably trying to sift through and see what you can pick up right
1: well yeah and and then they're linked to john collins just as much as the kings have been and almost more so recently and I, i i i i guess like i could see it sure um but I think, they, I think they need to upgrade in some other positions, to be honest. Like, I think they need to look more guard play. I mean, Mike Conley is not Mike Conley anymore. So, <laughs> like, um, they They fortunately – I mean, I think everyone thought that they were – I mean, us included thought that they were not going to be this uh, factor at all in the Western Conference. And, you know, we're still not even halfway through the season yet, so there still could be a moment to where that does happen. But they don't look like they're going anywhere, and marketing looks like an all-star right now. In fact, they're already – it's kind of funny. I've already seen <laughs> paraphernalia and, um, what do we call it, uh, swag coming away from, from the Utah Jazz to promote him for all-star consideration.
4: Yeah, At the finisher, right, with a couple yes. of ends? Yes.
3: Yeah, because he's, yeah, he's the one Finland guy. It's <laughs> the, propaganda. The,
4: the one Finnish player in the league. Yes. Um, no, I mean, yeah. I think
3: that Lori is obviously one of the prizes of if you're like looking from a Kings perspective of who you could possibly see as intriguing as a trade candidate, right? I think that Olinic, I mentioned earlier, interests me a little bit, obviously, vastly different prices. Um, and I think Vanderbilt still interests me. It just seems like maybe the price would be a bit much. And I don't know that he changes like the tier that Sacramento is in necessarily. Um, so I think those are three guys. But I think, again, we might have had this conversation last episode. I don't remember. Like, if you're talking marketing, like, this is probably including Keegan-Murray in the deal. And I don't know how many people are willing to do that, but... Would you? He said it. He said it again. Yes. Like, I think we said this last time. Like, if Keegan-Murray became Lori Markkinen, you would be thrilled. No? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, you take the sure thing. I know the team control is the big difference, but... I don't know. Yeah. Team control,
1: low salary, um, and you know if you think that he's capable of being Laurie Markkinen by year 2 or 3 then you're even more thrilled with that
4: yeah and i mean i'm looking at marken uh 16.5 million this year 17.3 million next year and 18 million the year after that so basically he's sub bonus money for another 2 years after this year i mean it's like dirt cheap for him you remember yeah, it's pretty good. like i i kept saying like why is he not signing? And why are the Kings not going out there and trying to sign him? They had the MLE. No one else had the MLE. You you might have been able to come up with a little bit more money, or or figured out something with the sign and trade with the with the Bulls. But this was a restricted free agent that his team no longer had any cap space for. And he, whether he's healthy or not, it just like made so much sense. And then, of course, you know the Cavs swoop in and get him for nothing, and then they're able to go turn him into like gold in Donovan Mitchell and like at his career path is very, very strange. Of course his injuries and stuff like that have slowed him down. But the product that we're seeing right now at age twenty five is is spectacular. And the fact that yeah. he fits into the, the King's age arc perfectly, um, man, it would be tough. But you're right, Brennan, it's either going to cost you like two or three first round picks or it's going to cost you a uh, Keegan and a first round pick and you know, salary filler, but he's obtainable because of the low salary, the sixteen point five million. That's crazy. I mean you, you only have to come up with like fourteen million in salary. You could well, like just salary well, that,
1: match that that also Utah wants. Like <laughs> it's not just come up with the money. You gotta make sure that they want it as well.
4: No, no, I, I get what you're saying there, but like if you're doing salary match and then and then picks, which is what Utah seems to have been intrigued by then you're, it's really easy to get to a sixteen point five million without even like destroying like your inner workings without messing with the flow of what you have going on. So I mean, if you can do it without a Keegan Murray, but again, what's it again, to cost you two firsts and a pick swap or something, and the Kings don't have any availability until like two thousand twenty seven, right? So it's a while before they could actually offer. They could offer twenty seven and twenty nine. And and a, a pick swap in twenty three or a a floating pick swap uh, in one of the other drafts. So
3: and I think one of the big things there is just the opportunity cost of like you only have one time that you can really take that swing and go for this third guy. And are you sure that Laurie Markinen is that guy? You know, like I would probably prefer OG Ananobi, for example. I think there's a handful of other guys in the league. I would probably if if you are trying to make that big swing and get that third guy and you're willing to include Keegan picks, whatever. Like, I think it's also just important to consider the opportunity cost of maybe there's better options than Lori for that package. Hmm. Wow. I didn't expect us to go.
4: Well, I guess we are 38 minutes into the pod. See? Uh, Yeah. I I mean, I think it's something (laughs) that we have to discuss because I mean, certainly the Kings, like they have to be mulling over all kinds of internal discussions at this point about how they can improve this roster and where they're at. And, you know, we, uh, Kevin Herder scored thir- his career high thirty with that incredible three pointer against Denver, um, which again was Keegan like finding him, passing it out to him, um,
1: and well before that cr- though was it was Fox who missed two, but got his hand. He tipped it to to uh, tipped Barnes, it out to Barnes, Barnes to Keegan to Keegan yeah. to yeah
4: yeah so but the point I'll bring up with when it comes to Fox, I mean when it comes to Herder is there's this funny thing that happened in the locker room, and it happened in postgame where um, they started making – that Monk has been making a fun of Herter uh, for being afraid of scoring 30 because Herter's way too good of a score to not have scored 30 points at least one time in a five-year career up to this point. Um, and so they had been messing with him, like, oh, you're afraid of 30. And uh, Fox actually said that Monk messed with him the same way at col- in college and said, oh, you're afraid of 40. And he couldn't get over the 40 bump, right? Um, I kind of feel the same way when it comes to five games over 500. It's like the Kings are afraid of five games over 500. They've now been to four games over 500 five times and fallen in each of those games. And it's this moment where you're either, like what Sean always says, basically a 500 team, or you're a team that can go eight or 10 games over 500 and start to build And it and it feels like they just can't get over that hump. They're afraid of that hump. And I kind of feel like the Kings might not be good enough to get over that hump without help. And that's where I'm right? That's kind of where we're at. But I I feel like shocking.
1: Yeah, that's that's I think the shocking there's nothing shocking at all. It's like the, the the next step for this team was learning how to be a relevant competitive basketball team that's capable of winning. And they knew they had glaring holes on this roster and and guys that need to play better than they are and <laughs> for things to go right. And then you're hoping to be able to upgrade certain positions and you're hoping for guys to blossom into something that you know, kind of fits the 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 timeline of this basketball team. So um, it's an all in moment for them once they went with Sabonis and took the pressure off of Fox solely. So now you just have to build around it. it. It's it's something that takes time to do. It doesn't happen overnight. But for this team, it essentially did once they added some shooting to this team. Um, you know, you're hoping to be able to use trade deadline. Um, you know, even these 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 moments of being able to to bring in people. You know, you're not even able to sign 10-day contracts still until, when is it, later this month, right, James?
4: That's a good question. I'm going to look that up really quick. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the next discussion we have on the table, right? Um, which is, you know, the Kings have January 7th coming up. And it's the date that you have to guarantee contracts for the rest of the year. And the Kings actually have three guys that are sitting there at this point that you're not sure. You're, you're not sure what they're going to do with those contracts. And uh, that is uh, Della Vadova is owed six point, I mean, 2.6 million this year. Um, so roughly half of his contract will be guaranteed uh, by this point. But the other half would would like after January 7th, uh, you've got Casey Paul of 1.9 million and Chima Moneki at a at million. Um, and we'll make this a business of basketball discussion because like there, this is a major business decision in a, in addition to like just a general discussion, right? So like if you if you just guarantee Chima Moneki's contract, you hold up a roster spot, but you're looking at like $500,000, which in NBA standards that's like, you know, that's absolutely nothing. I mean, the Kings would like if they had to waive Chima, which I don't think that they will and I hope that they no. don't because he's a fun dude to have around, but if they had to like if they were making a four for two swap and they had to clear up a roster spot, even if you guaranteed his money on January 7th, it's really not that much money to waive someone after that fact. Right. So like and the, and I'm not like even if it's not Chima Moneki that's attached to that roster spot. So if it was Jamias Ramsey or Robert Woodard, we saw the Kings do it a couple of years ago where they they had paid those guys and then just waived them. And actually, Robert Woodard, they owed a whole other 500000 I think, for this year, where they're paying him this season, Robert Woodard's making five hundred k from the Kings um, because they had already guaranteed his third-year salary. Um, so anyway, my point is that with, with Chima, like Chima's going to be on the roster after January 7th, I can almost assure uh, that. And then the same, you can look at Casey Paula, at $1.9 million. Like okay, you're looking at nine hundred thousand now for that second half, but he's only twenty three years old. He has played valuable minutes here and there for you. He does have a skill set that fits. And then the other one is is Delavadova, and like, I don't know. What do you guys think? There is value in having a open roster spot, especially when you get to the trade deadline, especially when you have a four million dollar trade exception that expires on February eighth from Halliburton and a 1.6 uh, that, respire- that expires on February 10th for Bagley. So you could actually use that roster spot to go get something else.
3: I mean, I think we've heard a lot of people rave about Deli's value, even just in practices and like the energy he brings. Um, it's hilarious watching him do sprints during timeouts. When during timeouts. He- He's probably not going to come in the game, but he's like the definition of staying ready. And I, I think in the minutes that he's gotten um, – sporadically here and there like he's done fine you know i think that he looks serviceable i think that charlotte game early in the year when Dearon went down um delhi played a solid role like i think that he's still capable to contribute on the floor and spot minutes when you need him to and i think that's all you're really asking from a third string point guard and and we've just heard people rave about the value that he brings in practice in just kind of challenging the other guards and and uh just being a consummate professional so i i think that delhi brings more value than like the minutes that you see on the floor
1: Hmm. no for sure i mean he's an extension of the head coach as well um he's 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 definitely understands the system he understands what's expected he understands what it's like to be a professional um those things i think to the average listener would go like well that should be an expectation and you're right but it not, it, 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 there are people that fall short of that. And you need type, these types of players on the team to show what it's like to be a professional, to the stay ready mentality, uh, the taking care of your body and to be able to play the long game because it is such a long, long season. And you don't know what happens when injuries strike. And fortunately, I mean, all you have to look at is what Demonis Sabonis is doing and, you know, playing through an injury, Keegan Marie, playing through essentially an injury as well. Um, De'Aaron Fox has done it at times as well this season and, you Plenty of guys are banged up. I mean, even Trey Lyles, who, you know, Trey Lyles, Malik Monk, they've all been kind of nicked up with various different things. So uh, it's going to take an entire team effort from this team. And you're right, James, I I think – identifying Moneki, who's who's essentially spent the entire uh, uh season so far with the g league and i think that's a great thing because he is seeing what it's like to play at another level he is seeing what it's like to uh play in a mike brown system and he's uh, more so than just what was used to international basketball um more of the nba level and being able to talk to him just a couple weeks ago right before the showcase um took place down in henderson nevada um the The constant feedback he's getting is uh, crucial. I mean, they're all over him, so uh, it's it's they've invested a lot in a player who's essentially only going to have a million was about a million dollars on the season.
4: It's only a million, and the next year it's only right. like one point eight. Yeah, I mean, yeah. basically, they gave away their two second round picks, and this is why because they were going to sign Chima Moneki, and or one of the reasons because they had a, an idea that they were going to go chase him. And they're using him as if he's a second-round pick, which I think is totally legit. And I think, like, he's got enough promise. He does enough, right? We talk about the Kings needing a Brandon Clark-type player, and Chima's only 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, so he's not Brandon Clark, but he's kind of like a 2-3-4 version of a more, like, flexible player defensively, more switchable, if you will. Uh, and maybe he can't do all the things, and he, he needs plenty of time to get like, up the refinement, but that's it. the energy, the physicality, that's the type of player you're looking at, a guy who can get you crazy shot blocks, a guy who can posterize somebody who, who goes above and beyond on the defensive rebounds and offensive rebounds. Uh, so, I mean, he's worth at least gambling on for this season, and I would be very shocked if, if he wasn't not only here this year, but if he wasn't part of some of the idea for next season.
1: Yeah, and I think right now, um, before they go and really start making big moves or any kind of uh, thing, I think they just have to wait for certain dates to pass, and I know we kind of talked about that a minute ago, but I also would like to see what this stretch of basketball looks like for the Kings because we've talked about how they're coming back to Sacramento. Um, they're, they've got a relatively easy schedule uh, for the rest of January, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago where I think at the end of the day, going into that six-game homestand where you're playing, I think it was 12 of 13, wait, no, I'm sorry, 14 of 16 at home, I believe it was, James, is that right? I don't have the schedule in front yeah, of
4: me. Yeah, a six and a six, right? Or a six and a five, let's see. So right now they've got the Jazz on the road. Then they come home for Hawks, Lakers, Magic, Rockets, Rockets. So yeah, it's like 12 of 14, right? And then Spurs and, oh, I can't read my own writing. Oh, Lakers. And then that's yeah. Well, I mean, again, yeah.
1: it's like this is that stretch because of the way that road trip went right before the six-game homestand. And, yeah, you go three and three on that six-game homestand, and you're probably fortunate to do so. I mean, mm-hmm. when you think of the way that homestand really went, um, this is a stretch that at the end of the season, the success of the failure of the season, you'll look back and go, how did they? How were they able to capitalize off of this opportunity uh, that, that takes them through January because – the months ahead, there's a lot of road games. Uh, they're going to be steep opposition. So I think this is going to be a very crucial month, not only just for the, the roster itself, but I think this is also where the front office really dives deep and figures out what the course of action is going to be right before that trade deadline and ultimately the All-Star game that
3: comes up in February as well. Yeah, and I think uh, just uh, real quick, ahead. go back to that whole, like they are just flirting with or allergic to this five games above 500. Like if they're just a 500 team, they won 30 games last year. And to jump to 41 is a huge jump that you rarely see happen in the NBA. So I think that in itself is a success and anything you get on top of that is great. And you, you still need to figure out a way of like how do you improve from that mark? Because obviously that's not the ideal finish point or ceiling of this team, but there's reasons they can look at, you know, there's fairly young guys on this team that you can expect internal growth from some of these guys and you have pieces to go out and maybe take one more big swing. So I think just the perspective of like they won thirty games last year. So I, I think already the improvement we've seen is a massive success.
4: Yeah, I just think the expectations this season are different. And you know, you change the age dynamic and everything else. And like look, so the Kings are are basic they're three games over five hundred, but they're uh they have a five forty-three win percentage, right? And and I don't know what that works out, but I I can tell you like pretty quickly, like a, a five forty-three Uh, times 82 is is 44 and a half wins right um but this team if they can crack that that number where they start getting seven eight nine games over 500 that's where you start to build and you know you start looking at a much higher win percentage or a sustainable 543 win percentage because there's a big difference between 543 at 82 games and 543 when you, you're you stuck and you can't get over the hump and, you know, you're game 35, but you can't get to that like seven games over or eight games over. Um, anyway, it's, it's interesting. We're going to see, we're going to learn a lot, but I also say like this, this stretch right here where again, we'll just say the jazz, the Hawks, the Lakers magic rockets, rockets, Spurs, Lakers, thunder. That's nine games where if you can like launch yourself and if De'Aaron Fox can look like the De'Aaron Fox we saw in the first six weeks of the season, now you're looking at a team who is thoroughly entrenched in the playoff picture at the end of January, going into All-Star weekend, a- a heading towards the All-Star break. And that's where we can start to really have a conversation about is De'Aaron Fox and Demontis Sabonis All-Stars, is just one of them an All-Star, which at this point, if one of them makes it, it would be Demontis, uh, in my opinion. But if two of them somehow you can squeak into it's not because you're four games over 500 or three games over 500. You need to be fully entrenched in, in the chase. And so I think this is a huge, huge stretch, not just for the, the standings, but also for individual achievements that could possibly come this team's way, which the, would actually the, mean something.
1: Those nine games, right? You're talking nine games ahead. Yeah. Uh, is it, out of the out of the question to say you have to win five. No, no, I think it's, I think that's you the, need to, that's I the think minimum. You need to win seven. I I would put it at six. I think if I was to guess right now, I'd say the expectation is that you win five. I think they win six. Okay. And if you win 16? less than five, you could be doomed. Yeah,
4: no, I, I, like I, I would I would agree with you, Sean. Like if you if you can't figure it out right there, you're in trouble. Like.
1: It's hard to go seven of nine. I don't care who you're playing against. So six of right. nine is something that I think is is doable. Five of nine to me would have to be the expectation. And if you're, like I said, if you're below that, that's some tough
3: sledding. At, at least, like I said earlier, they're ten and three against teams below five hundred. And uh, like to be honest, that Charlotte and Washington games like left a really bad taste in my mouth. Those those kind of scared me. And it was like, okay, this team is still capable of like playing down to their competition and and just totally losing games that they absolutely should have been more competitive in. Um, And sometimes those are going to happen. Sometimes there's just outlier nights who can't hit shots. Um, I think that was an aspect of at least one of those games is sometimes the shots aren't going to go down, but I I think it's the little things of uh, making sure you're rebounding, not turning the ball over, getting back on defense that, those games really scared me, so if if those, if those only one of those blunders would have happened, I'd probably feel a little bit more confident going into this, but I'm with you guys on this, like, 5-6, but they, they really do need to make sure that they take care of business against the teams they're, like, quote-unquote, supposed to beat.
4: Okay, so I'm just going to, as part of the business of basketball, let's just, uh, let's just go through it really quickly uh, Was that is that an overreaction
1: by the way saying that they should win seven <laughs> as you or that you put the number at seven i was gonna say that's quite an yeah. overreaction
4: well no i mean especially you're talking about like it, they need to split the road trip which would mean that they they somehow find a way to beat utah right if you can't find or find it yeah or find another one six six wins out of the hawks the lakers twice the rockets twice the Magic, and the Thunder, and the Spurs. If you can't find six wins right there, then I don't know that you're a playoff team. Now, I mean, realistically, at the end of the day, because it, the schedule gets a lot easy, a, a lot more difficult after that. This is the stretch of the season where you can look at a bunch of games at home, uh, a bunch of games against you know uh, against opponents that that don't really care to be in it. And I think that's that's part of what you're looking at there. Um, Okay, so let's just, like, is Chima, Moneki on the roster after January 7th? Yes. KZ Akpala? Probably. Probably. Okay. Matthew Delavidova?
1: I don't know. I have no idea.
4: (sighs) I'm going to say yes to Chima, yes to KZ, and I'm going to (sighs) say it's going to be hard for Delavidova to make
1: that date. Are they... uh, (laughs)
4: I, I and think it's not about salary. I, People should understand that this is not about salary.
1: No, it's not like they're being cheap or frugal no. or trying to cut corners. No, it's for me. It's it's almost a um, okay. If not him, then who? Right? Or are they doing? Are you saying that in the sense that you expect a trade before then? Which obviously I don't think that's going to happen in the next five days. No. So no. so like you know, to me, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think. Maybe they've identified it as somebody else. Uh, I didn't I, – I mean, we can go back. I didn't expect him to make the roster um, back in the summertime, so uh, I was wrong there. But, you know, I, I just I just don't know. I don't know what the cards yeah. look for someone like him, you know?
4: I mean, you have you have Trey Burke, Burke at uh, at uh, Stockton. Like, right. if you need to sign him to a couple of 10 days or if you need to sign him to a couple of 10 days, you know, as you're coming into the trade deadline and then – Figure out if you still have a roster spot afterwards and then make sense of it then.
3: Um, he's I'm been... convinced DJ Stewart is a third string point guard in the NBA eventually. Hmm. Convinced, huh? Well, I, I think I, he's a bucket.
4: <laughs> I would say this the only reason the Kings need a, a third string point guard is if De'Aaron Fox is going to be out long term or if Davion Mitchell is out long term or if you're going to trade Davion Mitchell uh, at the trade deadline, which, you know, again, I'm not saying is going to happen, but like if all options are open, all options are open um to improve the roster and so that's one of those things where you're looking at like okay, I could see where this player or this player may or may not be here um and that you might need Delavadova, uh but the or in a trade way, if
1: you just need to make some money work
4: yeah just but giving 1.3 million away yeah, is not... is that's a that's a lot more money could, than 500,000
1: you could send cash
4: <laughs> I guess yeah yeah i, I mean <laughs> I think it's going to be up in the air. I think it's going to be up for discussion because again, you, uh, Keon Ellis and Nemias Kata for me, they're not going anywhere. They're going to be two way players this entire season, which means that you can't really pull up DJ Stewart without clearing a roster spot, you know, and sure. You could right. give him a 10 day contract or you could sign him to a non guaranteed deal at the end of the, at the end of the year. Uh, like what they did with Shemazi or what they did with Damian Jones and all that stuff. Uh, but I, I still think it's one of those, it's it, you're, kind of torn like i don't know what they're gonna do with that position um okay uh that was our business of basketball discussion <laughs> um wasn't it great. i don't know yeah I, I, like it's interesting though right there's a lot going on here there there is a lot going on uh is do we have anything for tuesday overreactions that we should be overreacting from like i'm not uh, overreacting from a couple of from a, a no. big rebounding night when you're the best can I say I'll say this
1: like uh, for his for as well as I think the Kings have played this season and shown to be a competitive team and yada 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 we've we've talked about that uh, I'm I think my overreaction would be I think this team is kind of uh, clunky I think I've used that a couple terms already like at uh, times right I, I want to see um, obviously you've got Mike Brown back you know Jordy handled it handled things uh, admirably and that was great. This team probably needs some practice time. I know they were, you know, home for the holidays and that, that we saw what that went like. It was some, certainly some, some uh, difficult moments at times. And yeah, uh, you called
4: that the distractions of home. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Now that that's in your rear view, and I think getting out on the road, even if it was only for two, day, two, two games, I think it will be a good thing. Um, even if they went 0 2, like just get out fresh get away from all the stuff that was around the holidays hopefully you come back and you've got a little bit of practice time during this stretch and hopefully they can find themselves again um i feel like they've kind of lost some of that mojo if you will um and so you know i think that if there was an overreaction i don't think that you know that they're that they've completely um just become a different team than what they've shown to be already this season. And we've talked about, you know, the, the being three games over 500, you've got a little bit of equity there. So that's a good thing, but you're coming up at a point where there's going to be an expectation for you to build upon that equity. Um, so I I think maybe the overreaction to me is maybe this is a team that's kind of lost their, 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 their way a bit. And, uh, they're going to have to tighten some things up and and really kind of hammer home. And, and Mike Brown's got a pretty difficult, uh, Task in front of him if they're going to do so So um, you yeah, Take advantage of the schedule ahead of you and I think If there was any overreaction I'm just wondering if If this team is A little different than what we've seen
3: I'll build on that a little Bit of I guess my overreaction A different angle of it is just that this team is still Pretty bad defensively and I don't know If that's an overreaction If it fits amazingly but I think there were times We thought that they were better and I, I still think that like this team is good enough offensively to win on any given night, but they're bad enough defensively to lose on any given yep. night. Like they gave up 120 to the Lakers, they gave up 125 to Charlotte. Um the the 125 to Washington, like and, and then Utah 125, uh the Denver Games or whatever. That's one of the best offenses in the league. But I, I think that this team is still really bad defensively. They don't Davion Mitchell and KZ Akpala and KZ has his shortcomings on the offensive end that limit his opportunity, but like Davion Mitchell is the only guy out there that I feel like is actually like bothering people and Fox can turn it on in the fourth quarter. Harrison Barnes does. Okay. Sabonis does good for his limitations. Um, But this team still has a lot of work that needs to be done defensively before. I think we're actually talking about anything in like top six in the West
1: that that defensive player of the game chain should be named in in Davion Mitchell's honor. I mean that 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 should be his chain and he's I know he won it for the first time just a couple days ago and he made it back to back but uh, he, he's, he's the best thing going defensively on that team. And I'll say this too. I think, you know, there might've been a little bit of fool's gold. I mean, you had won seven straight at one point. Of course, your defensive rating is going to go up. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's yeah. to be expected when you win seven straight. Um, you also win seven straight because you were capable of playing a little bit of a defense as well, and it wasn't just outscoring opponents. So it wasn't completely fool's gold, but, um, I think they've shown what they can be capable of on that end. Uh, I think they have made vast strides. I think there is really positive momentum there. But over this past, since they got off the road trip, really since they came home for the holidays, things have just kind of looked a lot different from what we've seen in uh, various portions of the season.
4: I think we're we're seeing this team. They're stuck in a lull, and so we look at the road trip. They were three and three. The homestand they were three and three. So realistically, they're 6-6 six and six in their last 12 uh, before they lost the other night. So they're 6-7 over the last 13. If they somehow find a way to scrap out a win against Utah, again, 500 over 14 games, it's kind of who you are right now, and I think this team needs a jolt. And I, I think the schedule will help, but the schedule will flip at another point, and you got to find a way that if you can go – seven and two or six and three over a stretch that there's going to be another point where you're going three and six or two and seven. And you need to, if you want to be better than a 500 team, I feel like this is, this is a moment where you got to get right, but also where they need to actively be searching out and finding the right player to fill the void. That is, that's glaring with this team. You need another shooter. You need a shot blocker. You need another rebounder. If you could package all of that into one player, then that's amazing. Um, if you can't, then you need two. You know, like you can't go through the rest of the season without having all of that, uh, because it's going to limit who and what you can be. These teams that are, you know, sort of rope a doping around the 500 mark, a little over 500 right now, that are really good teams. The the Clippers who just started to win a couple of games, but you're gonna see Dallas probably start to pick up a few more wins. Uh, boring injury to Luka, and then then all bets are off. But uh, there are a lot of teams sitting right around where the Kings are that are just kind of not taking the, the regular season serious right now. And the final 25 games of this season, the Kings need to be primed and ready and firing on all cylinders. And I would, like, if you got an opportunity to make a move at game 35 or game 40 and improve your roster greatly – that just gives you more time to acclimate that person into what you're trying to do and into your system and into your, like, specifically on the defensive end. Like, if you can get better defensively, get better defensively and do it now. Don't wait. Like, that That would be my opinion. Um, but, I don't know, team unity does mean things. Not wanting to screw up a six-game or a five-game homestand coming up, That that's also something. But at some point, you know what they need. Just see if, if you can go get it, go get it. They need
1: their version of the Christian McCaffrey trade. Oof, yeah, boys, <laughs> boy, has that been amazing. No, but oh, my uh, gosh.
4: no, you're right. That's spot on. Like, if you want to be, if you want to be a, a seven, eight, nine, ten, then that's fine. Stay right where you're at because that's probably where you're going to end up. If you want to really cement where you have been, the four, five, six then you have to have like their version of that trade is going and getting Laurie market in or going and getting OG and an like swinging for the fence to add the third big player that they need. Um, You know, that, that takes care of the problems now, not long-term. i mean, not, you know, not on February 8th or whatever it is, February 6th, whatever the trade deadline is. I mean, that there are a lot can happen between now and then. And, I'd rather have a player already in my system, already rolling. uh, When when you get to that point, than someone who you know still has to learn what's happening and might be able to make some sort of difference in the last, you know, 25 games of the season. Um, Cool. All right. Do we have any final thoughts? It's starting to rain, Sean. I know you're probably. Oh, really? Because I'm already. uh,
1: It's been pouring out here since we started maybe it's just making its way up the hill now
4: it might just be making its way up the hill it was cold 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 uh this morning and last night last night i was surprised although it's only 50 now so and it warmed up a little bit so that's that's not super cold for like i'm not going to get snow is what my point would be um, no, it's but not I, that cold yet. I, i'm worried the lake like the lake just keeps overflowing and like they can't force water out fast
1: enough ham ham's navy is going to be just fine i think your boats will they all float right They'll be okay. They'll float. Take on a little water
4: here and there. Although the pontoon
1: boats, they don't take on
4: water. So, yeah, we're okay there. Uh, Sweet. Uh, Do we have any final thoughts?
3: I will make a request for our comment section. We are getting getting to trade season, and everybody always wants to say, I want to trade for X, Y, and Z player. I just want people to also include, who are you willing to trade? Because I feel like this isn't, included often enough and there's a i want to trade for this person but no way i'm including keegan murray or no way i'm including davion mitchell and it's okay what are you willing to trade so be well, reasonable is... be honest
1: yeah and yes. to that point brendan we spent a lot of time talking about laurie marketing and it's like okay yeah we know what utah we know what they're what they're doing but uh we we get the situation that they're in with like acquiring all these picks and and probably not trying to compete all of a sudden but here they are Kind of a somewhat relevant team in the West. They've shown to the play better than what most people expected. Why are you just going to give away Markkinen? You know, you're not going to just give away Markkinen. In fact, if I'm them, I'm probably inclined to probably keep him. That's uh, a that's a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice piece there that you can. It's not expensive. You, he's going to be extension eligible. He fits a timeline. Might be a little bit older than what they'll be look like in two year, in three years, considering. You know them wanting to be in the mix for a Weminyama possibly or, or or younger draft picks because of they've they've acquired so many but you can also move those draft picks and and be right where the Kings are with these players that are anywhere from 23 to 26 27 so uh, the, the the path of the NBA can can switch very very quickly is all I'm saying and and I'm using that one as an example because people have uh, obviously taking a liking to him he's having an all-star type season uh he's a very nice player but in order to what is it you got to spend money to make money
4: hmm all right uh, i'm i'm thinking here like what are you gonna give up uh it's a it's a good point brennan like uh maybe very give us point, a, brennan. yeah give us a couple of trade ideas like if if you were gonna do something what are you what is the package because i like I think there's only two ways to get a player like Laurie. One of them is with Keegan Murray, one of them is with two first round picks. And in order to get the two first round picks, you're either offering offering 27 and 29, which is really far off for a team like Utah, or you're going to call the Atlanta Hawks and try to work something out there and and free up your you know, a 26 and 28. That there's a big difference between a 27 and 29 and 26 and 28. Um, for a team like Utah, I think that they would trade him, especially.
1: Oh, I think um, they would, but they're gonna point, they're gonna yeah. expect they're not they're just not like pennies on the dollar here. Like they're not. Oh, going Oh no. there, Go ahead and fleece us just for whatever you know. It's like no, they're. they're <laughs> Danny Ainge is a cutthroat businessman. <laughs> I mean, obviously we oh, know huh. he loves picks, so. Uh, I'm just saying.
4: Yeah, and and I'll also point out too, like the cool thing about marketing is that he is he signed a full four year deal. So he's actually, like, extendable. He, there are things you can do with him down the road. And he's under contract for, for two more years after this year. So he's even under contract a year longer than Sabonis at this point and under a very, very affordable price. Um, and then you start getting into the back end of Fox's deal. Like, it's one of those those contracts where you're looking, okay. Like, he's so manageable now and next year and the year after Um, That that makes him even more valuable. So, like, it's going to cost. It's going to cost a lot if you're going to go chase someone like that. But, like, we talked about it during the draft. Like, Chet Holmgren, I thought, was a perfect fit next to Sabonis. And, like, that's a guy who who probably has way more offensive upside than a guy like Chet Holmgren um, and can do a lot of things. Um, So, yeah, intriguing. I don't know um okay are we wrapped up you got final thoughts in sean did you get final thoughts
1: no not really but happy new year 2023 i mean that was uh i had a um i think 2022 people probably enjoyed for the most part and uh we hadn't been able to say that for a while so yeah 2023 hopefully is bigger and better for everybody uh kings included because it makes everything we do a little bit more relevant in the scope of things and uh yeah just kind of looking forward to seeing what these next few weeks and months have to have to play out. I did see James. I think I mentioned to you uh, off the podcast, but for those who like to hear the movie stuff that we talk about, uh, I did see the Banshees of Isherin, I think is how you say it, in Isherin? Yeah. That Colin good, Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, it was it was very different. Uh, I think I really liked it. Brendan would have absolutely hated it. Um, I don't think he's got the patience for that type of movie because um, he's got the well. He just falls asleep. He's a sleepy boy.
4: (laughs) Did you go see Babylon? (laughs) Me? No. No. Yeah. Okay, so Babylon is like a three. I'm going to take Brendan. An epic three hours. And it's super, super fast-paced. Like crazy fast-paced. Three hours long, but like it's an exhausting three hours. You get done, you're like, okay, that was a lot of movie. There was a lot going on. I thought it was a little overindulgent for the first like 45 minutes. Um, but it settled in i thought it was pretty impressive um it got, is it i've
1: seen some awful awful reviews of that movie either awful <laughs> or great though
4: yeah i mean <sighs> some of them are are like which is crazy cuz i really like, a like those 60 or 70 right on like metacritic and rotten tomatoes yeah it's still i think still so up there. yeah
1: like the director Damien chazelle love him la la land director brad pitt Margot robbie i heard um uh what is it uh, toby maguire is pretty fantastic oh. in it so oh yeah, yeah.
4: very small part I thought, but yeah
1: i, I want to see it but then when i saw those reviews literally the chronicle the san francisco chronicle the guy he says i effing hated why did i just say myself <laughs> i just do it he's like i effing hated babylon and he called it the worst movie of 2022
4: that's interesting I uh, i don't think there's any way it was worse than like black adam or like there's like there are plenty of movies that were not very good in in 2022 um let's see okay what's the so last my final what's thoughts? the
1: last good movie you saw that involved the rock um asking for know. a friend because i can't think of one
4: jumanji i don't know like like the first one <laughs> the first second <laughs> one yeah maybe i don't know There's uh been some bad ones though yeah it, there has been some bad ones uh, let's see okay so my final thoughts um yeah happy new year uh never too high never too low I highly recommend if you want to see a Sacramento Kings game, um, then go buy tickets now because every game has been a sellout for the last eight. The fans have been off the charts. Good. Like I I think the fans have just been absolutely spectacular trying to carry this team, even through some drag losses, some really rough losses. I I think they've still been incredible. Um, Outside of that, like let's hope for everybody like a healthy, year i mean we've been through like a whole lot as a whole all of us the last like three years so hopefully uh we have a better 2022 i mean 2023 than we we have the previous couple of years um uh, cool you guys yeah. are good
1: yeah hey brendan we made it james didn't say hoot this time so i was really kind of hoping for a two for two but <laughs> i, I not... thought he was going there with the games it's the <laughs> been a real <laughs> Another games, games have been Biddos. incredible
4: the games have been incredible. I, I I don't know what you're talking about, Sean Cunningham. I'm trying well, they to mess have. with me. They oh, have. oh really been my good. other thing. Uh, let's see. I'm walking into tonight my fantasy football Super Bowl. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm up seven point, uh, No, yeah, yeah, 7.07. Points. I have my kicker, which is <sighs> T-Bass. So I can yell, kick his ass, T-Bass, every time he kicks a field goal. And... I'm going up against uh Devin Singletary. So I have a seven point lead and a kicker against a running back.
1: So when we reconvene later this week, James will be either happy, James, or very, very sad James. Right.
4: Yeah, because Sean Sean was there when I lost the Super Bowl. That was during the the lockdown. I, kind
3: of,
1: I was like,
4: Oh, you got this. Oh, you got this. You got <laughs> oh, you're this. You're fine. <laughs> I was up eighty. And a standard scoring league. And the guy had a wide receiver and Josh Allen on Saturday. And I mean, on Sunday night and on Monday night. And I lost by three. She did not have this. Josh Allen scored like 46. Just kept throwing touchdowns long after they had already like drugged (laughs) somebody. Yeah. So we're we are here at the Hamo House. We're looking to put another uh, championship ring on the on the mantle here. And we'll another boat happens. on the water. I know how you. Another hold on boat on the water. Yeah, no, probably not. Uh, unless one sinks. Hopefully not. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> that's there, gonna skipper. do it for this. Yeah, that's gonna do it for this edition of the King's Beat podcast. Uh, if you're still watching, give us a thumbs up. Uh, if you're listening somewhere, give us a rating and review. We totally appreciate it. Um, If you drop by games and want to say hi to us, uh, just send us a message and see if we can at least say hi. Uh, But, you know, like Sean says, no, I'm I'm fine saying hi to people. We are busy. We're busy at games. Um, But, uh, yeah, Happy New Year, everyone, and uh, thanks for tuning in to the Kings Beat. So for Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse podcast (laughs) and Fox 40 Sean Cunningham. Uh, I am James Ham, your King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. See you later this week.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?